listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. everybody and welcome to another edition of Thirsty Thursday Women's Online Wellness Facebook page. We're glad you're here and before we get started tonight let me tell you about a couple of things that are coming up because I think it'll be fun and be interesting to you. A couple of things down the road for the future. Many of you already have watched the interview I did with my oldest daughter on working from home and the challenges and the problems associated with working from home and more importantly the tips and tricks for surviving working at home. Uh, and if you haven't seen that you need to go back in the news feed and watch it and I think we've actually got it saved on the save videos so you need to go back there and watch that. Well when my youngest daughter saw that I had had my oldest daughter not that there's any sibling rivalry or anything, but she saw that and said, Hey, what am I, chopped liver? When are you going to have me on your Facebook Live? So, when my youngest daughter was home last weekend, many of you know she lives in Lynchburg, Virginia, so when she was home last weekend, we taped a brief interview on media bias. Now, tell me that isn't topical. And the reason she can speak to that is she's a news reporter for the ABC station in Lynchburg, Virginia. She's worked at a Fox station. She worked in Biloxi, Mississippi for a couple of years. So she's had a cross-section of media exposure, working in video and TV media. So she had some interesting thoughts and insights into the media bias talking about the difference between maybe the local and the national and how they approach stories. So that's coming up probably in the next couple of weeks. We're going to edit that and put it together. So just let you know that that's coming up. And I always want to be fair and make sure that I give my beautiful daughters equal opportunity choices. So she'll be on this in the next couple of weeks. Be watching for that or I'll announce it. Well, tonight... We're going to talk about the bane of many of your existences, and I got this from a brief survey that I did, and I actually did it for another reason, to get some additional data, but it kept coming back that folks want to hear about hormones from hell, meltdowns, power surges, call them whatever you may, hot flashes are the bane of many people's existence in the menopause. It's the most identifiable symptom of menopause and perimenopause. Upwards of 70% of folks will experience hot flashes at one time or another. So tonight we're going to talk about what they are, where they come from, but more importantly, what you can do about them. Because they can go the entire spectrum from mild annoyances to really life-altering problems and everything in between. So what we do about 
these hot flashes is 100% driven by how much of a nuisance they are. And when we get to the treatments, I think you'll understand a little bit better about why you have choices in what you do and weighing things in the scale. How bad are they? What are the choices? How bad is the treatment worse than the problem? You know, for years we viewed hot flashes merely as a distraction, an annoyance. Yes, when they get intense and they interfere with sleep, they take on a greater effect than just an annoyance, but we kind of thought of them simply in the context of menopause as a symptom. Well, what we're learning now is that hot flashes actually may have some predictive value on things like cardiovascular disease. There's a number of studies that have come out over the last couple of years that have pretty convincingly shown that women in the perimenopause and menopause that have a lot of hot flashes, number and severity, actually have increased risks of cardiovascular problems. Well, it goes back to where these things come from. Where the heck do these things come from? I know they come from the pits of hell, but Actually, they come from the hypothalamus, so it's not really the pits of hell, but you may feel that way at times. I had one lady describe a hot flash as playing tennis in 100 degree weather and then going digging around in the weeds for a lost ball. That's kind of how they make you feel. I thought that was a great way of describing it. But they originate in the hypothalamus, this little bitty almond-shaped type thing in the middle of the brain that's associated with temperature regulation. And when that goes haywire, it causes an increase in temperature. So literally with a hot flash, it's no accident that you actually can see an increase in skin measure. We measure skin temperature and it literally increases. And the reason you have the hot flash where you get reddened and break out into a sweat is because the body tries to compensate for that increased temperature by dilating the blood vessels help cool the body down and that's why you get the flushing sensation and so that's where it comes from and there's a number of things that regulate that hypothalamus uh, temperature regulator and one of those is estrogen fluctuations not so much absolute levels but the fluctuation of levels and that's why some women even before the menopause can experience hot flashes when they see big changes in Hormones, for example, sometimes in the postpartum time period, some women will experience hot flashes as the hormones go all crazy wacky. Certainly we know about it in women who are young who have their ovaries taken out and lose hormones real rapidly, they can have hot flashes. Did you know men can have hot flashes? Oh yes, they can. How exciting is that? We found that out when men were being treated with estrogen for prostate cancer. We don't do that a whole lot anymore, but before there were better treatments for prostate cancer, one treatment was used estrogen, which I won't go into the details, but just say that they would take estrogen for two or three months, and then when they would stop the estrogen, these men would have hot flashes. How great is that? I mean, it helped with the prostate cancer. I'm glad for that. I'm sorry they had to be treated for that but they experience the hot flashes. So we know that there's obviously a direct correlation between estrogen and the experience of the hot flash. Now let me make a quick distinction as to what a hot flash is 
hormonally and what it's not. Because there's some confusion. Many people will think that, for example, they'll walk into a room and they'll say, I'm always the hottest in the room. I'm hot all the time. I get in the shower in the morning and I come out and I break out into a sweat. Well, that is not necessarily a hot flash. In fact, most cases that's not. That's a different scenario. That's related to a whole bunch of other things. A hot flash is essentially what it sounds like. It's a very rapid flush that usually starts in the chest area and gallops up to the head, oftentimes followed by sweating, doesn't necessarily, but oftentimes, and it can occur one time a month or it can occur 25 times a day. They tend to occur initially anyway, more commonly in the evening, and that's a bad deal because one of the problems associated with hot flashes is sleep disruption. And if you've watched any of those videos, if you have listened for even the last month, you know how critical sleep is to health and overall wellness. So hot flashes can be a nuisance, but if they get to the point where they're actually interfering with sleep, they become an instant medical problem that needs to be addressed. Well, as I'm going back to what I was talking about with the cardiovascular, we know now that even women who experience hot flashes early, and by that I mean usually in their early 40s, if they're going to go through menopause early, then they may experience symptoms early. The earlier you experience hot flashes, studies indicate the more at risk you are for cardiovascular and heart problems. Now, why is that? One of the things associated with the hot flashes I already mentioned was the dilating of the blood vessels. That's a purposeful to help reduce the temperature to cool things down. Well, there's some evidence that there may be something in the lining of the blood vessels called the endothelium that's not working as well in women who have excessive hot flashes. And that in turn will then lead to problems with uh, the heart and blood vessels down the road. So cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, all those are increased in people who have a lot of hot flashes. Now the good news is oftentimes by treating those and treating those early, if they're bothersome, we can actually eliminate that extra risk due to those cardiovascular changes. So there, there is now more evidence to be a little more aggressive about the hot flashes simply because we know that there may be some underlying issues that those are, are, are representing that we're aware of that we wouldn't be aware of unless you were having the hot flashes. But we know now, yeah, it probably is a good idea to address those in some way, shape, or form because even if, if you're debate, I'll put it this way. Here, here's, here's words of wisdom. If you're having hot flashes and they're, they're annoying but they're not that really bothersome and you're on the fence about whether to do anything about them, my suggestion now is at least look at your options because that may indicate that you have some increased cardiovascular risk. Now, nothing happens in isolation. If that's the only risk factor you have, then you, it's not worth doing something about for that one reason. But if you've got uh, a weight issue, if you've got a family history of heart problems, if you have a hypertension or diabetes or other issues that compound the risk, then yeah, maybe looking at someone who's got those risk factors 
and bad hot flashes, you got to be more vigilant. You got to look at more things related to their risk factors, and you got to be more aggressive about changing those things. It's a it's this whole concept of balance between mind, body, and spirit, and, and being able to look at the whole person and say, well, gosh, my cardiologist never said a word about hot flashes. Well, that's probably because they haven't read that part of the literature, and I don't blame them. There's a lot about cardiology I don't read, but my point is there are a lot of things that are very specific to women that kind of get passed over, kind of get ignored, and unless we have that information, we can't really provide that holistic approach to wellness. And this is a perfect example. Who would have thought 20 years ago that hot flashes were a sign of anything other than being miserable in the menopause? Well, now we know that there's an increased chance for uh, dementia, for uh, early onset Alzheimer's, for cardiovascular disease, and a couple of other things simply in people who have hot flashes because of probably this underlying issue associated with the blood vessels. But once we know that, dadgummit, we can do something about it. That's the beauty of where we're at now in medicine is we've come so far with the concept of prevention that we can look at lifestyle, we can look at supplements, in some instances medications. We can take all that and put it together and provide uh, a real plan for increasing your wellness long term. Uh, so you just, the bottom line is you just need to be more aware of that if you have the hot flashes. Alright, enough explanation of why they exist. Quite honestly, you probably could give a rat's rear end why they exist. The fact that they do exist is what you want to hear about. So stop telling me about the hypothalamus and tell me how to get rid of the darn things before I fry somebody. I get it. I understand. So let's dive into that and talk about how to get rid of these things, how to get them under control, how to make your life much more pleasurable and probably for those around you. So step number one in anyone who's dealing with these is to decide, A, how bothersome they are. And I won't rehash the cardiovascular thing. You know, you already heard that. But if they're just mildly annoying, you have one every two days, and you know what it is, and it's no big deal, chances are you really don't need to do anything. It's just they'll pass. The average hot flash symptom will only last three to four years around the menopause. Now, that's not everybody. I have at least 50% of patients in my practice who are in their 60s are still having hot flashes. So for some people, it can extend beyond that. So the first question you have to answer, and we're going to take this very sequentially because when you think about how to treat this, you want to approach it in a very logical fashion, and you want to kind of step down this algorithm one step at a time, and I'm going to walk right there with you. So the first question is, are the symptoms bothersome enough to warrant treatment? And, and what would that be? Well, that could be everywhere from, you know, I, I'm a corporate executive and every time I get up to do a presentation, I break out into a hot flash. Well, if that, that's bothersome enough to treat, even though it doesn't occur any other time. Or maybe you're uh, somebody who's only has them at night, but they're disrupting your sleep. Well, that's bothersome enough to do something about that, Bernie. So deciding to do something is totally your choice. It is completely up to you as to whether or not 
it is significant in the context of your life, and you're the only one that can determine that. So let's go on the, the, the judgment that you say, look, hot flash breath, I want something done about it. So we're going to move now to the second, and we talk about options. There are always options. If you remember nothing else from what I'm telling you tonight on treatments, is understand there are always choices and options. MD doesn't stand for medical deity. It, does, it stands for my daddy. That's what my kids think. But it, it, it certainly does not stand for menopause director either. This is a partnership. And whoever you see, whoever's working with you on this, needs to hear you out and listen to what you want done, provide these alternative and choices, and make sure you understand the pros and cons of those choices, and then together you come to a decision about what you want to do. All right, so let's talk about what I have characterized as four separate categories of treatment options. These are four compartments that it's easy for my little miniature brain to think of as I'm thinking about ways to treat this. And I'll go through each. Now, obviously we can't spend a lot of time going into the pros and cons of each one. I'll try to touch on some of the highlights, but this is not going to be a comprehensive expose on the different medications and herbals and so we, we just don't have the time and you'd fall asleep if I started doing that anyway. Uh, but there is a lot of information and I'll tell you at the end here how you can get some additional information on each one of these things to help you take charge and to be a better partner in gaining control of these things. I'm throwing it back on you. You've got to take that responsibility. The biggest healthcare crisis in this country is not COVID. It's people not making healthy lifestyle choices. There, you heard it, and I'm going to keep saying it because it's true. So, getting back, four buckets of treatment options. And I just spit all over my camera here. I hope you didn't, I hope it doesn't obscure. I hope I have not got little saliva things falling down over me there. The first is what we would call traditional hormone treatment. Some people will call that synthetic. Eh, okay, I can go with that term because it's really true. These are hormones that are considered made in the lab, if you will. The example for this category is a medication called Primarin, which many of you are familiar with. It's been around since the 50s, and it's a conglomeration of a multitude of estrogen conjugates, which means the estrogens are bound to other molecules to help them to be absorbed. And this is a little bit of trivia. Some of you know this, some of you don't. But you think about the name. I mean, where did they come up with Primarin? Well, they get this hormone, and they've gotten this hormone ever since the 50s from pregnant mares urine. Primarin. So they extract it from horse wee wee. Now that's not to say anything bad about the medicine. That's just where it comes from. And in fact, early on, when they were manufacturing it back before they had a lot of really high quality manufacturing, it had a very distinctive odor. Now it doesn't anymore, but that's where it came from. Now these medicines, and there's several others that are in this category, they're all what we call synthetic or conjugated estrogens. 
these are effective. I'm not implying that there's something evil or something dangerous or bad about these. They are effective. Uh, there are pros and cons. They are prescription medicines and we could spend hours just talking about the pros and cons of hormones. Dadgummit, it did that last time too. I'm going to start having to tape that thing up there because when I get excited it starts vibrating and it falls down. Oh, it's live. Who cares? You're, you're my family here. You're cool with all this. So the plant falls down. Just pretend like it's not there. So Primarin is an example of what we would call the synthetic hormones. And they work. And it's just a matter of deciding pros and cons. So that's bucket number one. All the synthetic, what we would call traditional hormones. Bucket number two are what we would call bioidentical hormones. Now some people mistakenly use the term natural hormones. I despise that term because nobody knows what that means. I certainly don't know what I mean when I talk about it. It's, it's equivalent, equal to what your body would produce. Other people put other characteristics. So when you say the term natural, you know, it's, it's, it's like a marketing term, quite honestly. You know, people talk about uh, natural dog food or, or the beer companies really have it. They've got natural light. They've combined everything. But nobody really knows, so I'm not going to use that term. I'm going to use the term bioidentical. And that means just what it says. It's like life. Bioidentical hormones, whether they're estrogen, progesterone, or testosterone, and we talk about hot flashes, we're talking predominantly about estrogen. I'll touch on a little bit about progesterone in a second. But it predominantly estrogen because that's what has the effect on dousing hot flashes. Bioidentical means getting the hormones in your system in multiple forms, but they are equivalent to what your ovaries would produce. If we were just hanging out in a parking lot and I reached in and grabbed out your ovaries and ground them up and analyzed the estrogen, and then I took one of these tablets and ground it up and analyzed the estrogen, it'd be the same thing, 17-beta estradiol. So that's what I mean when I call bioidentical. It has nothing to do with anything else other than what it is. Now, most of the bioidentical estrogens are a plant-based. In other words, they get them from plants like the wild Mexican yam, where they break down the content and then they convert it in the lab. So these have to go into the lab. It's not like you go out and dig up a big batch of 17-beta estradiol, a big batch of bioidentical hormones. These suckers are made in the lab, and but they are natural to your system. Now I'll tell you my own bias, and this is just me. My own bias is I like them. And I like them because it's a chemical that your body is used to seeing. Your body was designed to metabolize 17-beta estradiol, not necessarily all the stuff in the conjugated estrogens in the synthetics. So that's one of the reasons I like the bioidentical. I won't go into all the stuff about uh, pros and cons, just know that for the majority of individuals the same pros and cons apply to the bioidentical prescription hormones as they do to the synthetic. Again, my own bias, and again, this is my bias. This is not anything steeped in science. My own bias is that I believe they have a likelihood of fewer side effects and I think there's a higher tolerance, so I use those much more 
commonly than I would the others simply because I think there's a less likelihood. Can I prove that? No. And no one else can either. And if anyone says they're the safe hormones, ask them to show you the studies that prove that. They don't exist. And they won't exist because they're too expensive to do to get the numbers to prove that. But my bias is that they probably are a better choice head-to-head. -head. Now that doesn't say anything about how they're administered. There's nothing magic, please hear me, there's nothing magic about tablets versus creams versus pellets versus shots versus gels versus capsules. Those are simply ways of getting the hormone into your body. There are subtle pros and cons with each one of those. For example, a patch of transdermal has a slightly lower incidence of blood clot formation than an oral. Uh, we won't go into why, but just accept that. But it's a minuscule difference, probably not enough to make a clinical difference. So if someone is telling you, oh, this cream is the safe bioidentical estrogen, either they're misinformed or they're trying to sell you something. Because the form of the it doesn't matter the form as much as it is what's in it. Now yes, there can be differences in blood levels, absorption, effectiveness based on that, but the bottom line is what is in it. So bioidentical hormones are very effective for treating hot flashes, in particular estrogen. Now there are some cases where progesterone by itself can treat hot flashes, usually in fairly high dosages but they are not nearly as effective as estrogen. I have some people who are doing, for example, the natural bioidentical progesterone cream, and they claim that there's some improvement in hot flashes, and I believe them, and that's fine if it's working for them, but I can't show them a study of more than 10 people that show that there's a greater effect of that than placebo. But if it works for you, Awesome, that's great. I'm, I'm open to that if it works for you individually. But just know that that's not the most effective and most common approach. So you've got the synthetic or the traditional, you've got the bioidentical, then you've got what we call the nutraceutical. And that's a fascinating group. Those are over-the-counter products, largely vitamins and herbals, that are effective for treating hot flashes. A couple of caveats right from the beginning. Anyone who's listened to me over the last months to years know that I love herbal, natural, complementary, over-the-counter, integrative approaches. But you've got to hold those to the same scrutiny that you would a prescription medicine. You want it to be scientifically valid, you want it to be effective, you want it to be safe. So. Unfortunately, with over-the-counter products, most of those are not FDA regulated. They are left to the integrity of the manufacturer, which we all know sucks most of the time for a lot of products. So you've got to be a critical consumer. You've got to do your research. And I've listed multiple places where you can get really good information on particular herbals. So just know that, that I'm coming at this from the perspective of you got to do your homework. You can't just hear something on TV and think that that's the magic product and it's going to solve all your 
menopausal hot flash issues without understanding what's in it, the dosage, where it comes from, who the manufacturer is, and all that stuff's available. You just got to look at it. You got to you got to dig and you got to figure it out. So, what are some of the over-the-counter products? Well, one of my favorite is simply vitamin E. It's been shown in multiple studies to be helpful with hot flashes. What's the key with vitamin E? Two things. One is dosage and one is quality. Most of the studies indicate that you need to have about 800 IUs of vitamin E to be effective. When we look at the studies, that's the dosage that seems to have a higher benefit than the placebo. The second thing about vitamin E is you want the appropriate mixture. Vitamin E can come in many different forms and you want to look on the bottle and make sure it's either the what they call mixed tocopherols, tocopherol is just the chemical of vitamin E, mixed tocopherols or D-alpha, you know the little alpha, you know alpha and omega, you know little alpha, D-alpha tocopherol. That's a much higher quality that's who the, the, the majority of studies have been done on those types of vitamin E. So vitamin E is great. Now it's a fat soluble vitamin so you can't do too much but there's a huge cushion of safety there. The only thing you got to be really careful of is if you're on any kind of blood thinner. Vitamin E has a, a bit of a blood thinning effect also so you want to be a little careful. Like you always should make sure you discuss all your herbals as well as your prescription medicines with your doc because herbals and over-the-counter products can impact prescriptions and this is a perfect example of why. So vitamin E is good. Uh, evening primrose oil is another herbal that's been associated with reducing hot flashes and again it comes in a variety of dosages and forms largely it's an oil can be sublingual there are capsules and a lot of times you just have to look and look at the standardized extract and it'll tell you based on the concentration of what you're taking how many of those you have to take to get that standardized extract there's a little more confusion in the literature surrounding EPO simply because there's not a lot of standardization of the dosing but there is some pretty good studies that evening primrose oil, oil has been pretty good. My favorite really is this category called phytoestrogens. And these are plant-like substances that have an estrogen-like effect. It's a misnomer. They're not estrogens and they don't contain estrogens. But they contain chemicals that are similar enough that they can preferentially bind weakly to the estrogen receptors so you can get some reduction in the hot flashes that come from lack of estrogen. And again, there's, there's a whole lot of these out there. I kind of like three in particular simply because one, they're branded. So there's consistency. When something is branded, there is that consistency uh, from box to box or pill pack to pill pack. Uh, so there's, there's three that I like because they're branded, so they're standardized, and they've been independently tested by places like Consumer Lab, and you can go check that out on ConsumerLab.com. It's an independent uh, review agency that goes over all these things. The three I like is a brand called Remy Femin, and that's essentially black cohosh, which has been used for many years. In fact, 
probably back in the 50s and 60s, it was the number one prescribed drug in Germany for hot flashes. Now it's, of course, over-the-counter, and it's the main component in Remy Femin. And a lot of these you can find in any pharmacy now. They're readily available. They're much more widely available than they used to be. Uh, the second is one called Promensal, which is actually derived from red clover. Fascinating story. They figured out these had estrogen-type abilities because they had a bunch of sheep that were grazing on the clover, and the sheep became sterile because the estrogen-like effects were suppressing ovulation. So they were able to determine it was from the clover, so that's how they extracted the type of phytoestrogen that they use, and that one again is called Promensal. And there's a third one called Estrovin, and it's kind of more of a combination of several, and it's also been independently tested. Now remember that with the herbals, generally you've got to give it about four to six weeks of consistent use to begin seeing much of its effect. And most of the studies indicate that about 30 to 40% of people will see a benefit. That's as opposed to the prescription medicines, which have almost an immediate effect, usually three to five days. And studies indicate that probably 90% of people will see an impact. So if a lady comes into my office and says, these are killing me, I'm dying, I've got to have something to get rid of these, and I want it yesterday, I'm probably not going to spend a lot of time talking to her about the herbal remedies. That's when I'm going to be steered more towards the uh, prescription medicines because of the rapidity and the predictability of their impact. The fourth category is, and again, that's not exhaustive on the nutraceuticals, understand that, but those are the ones that I've seen the best scientific literature on. Uh, the Fourth category are also prescription medicines, but they're not hormones. They're prescription medicines that have been used predominantly for other stuff, but we found out that they help get rid of hot flashes. In particular, there's a class of medicines called SSRIs. Most of you are familiar with those, that class of medicines. Prozac, Paxil, Effexor, Zoloft, Selexa, that group of medicines traditionally used as antidepressants. In lower dosages, they can be very effective for hot flashes. We discovered this in women who had breast cancer, who were, especially young women, who are having horrible hot flashes after their treatment and obviously can't use estrogen because of the contraindication from the breast cancer. Well, they initially saw that many of these women who were also on, for example, the Effexor or the Prozac, weren't having the same level of hot flashes. So they began independently studying this and determined that yes, there's a mechanism that influences hot flashes. We've known for a long time that serotonin, which is what these SSRIs affect, also affects estrogen. That's why when estrogen goes bonkers at different times in your life, puberty, postpartum, menopause, that's also associated with mood and emotional changes because of this relationship with serotonin. So the SSRIs are essentially not working through the front door, but they're going through the back door, through the way serotonin affects estrogen and it dampers the hot flashes. So that's just an option for folks who either won't or can't use estrogen, or for whatever reason the herbals 
don't seem to be working well. There's a great new, well, it's not new, it's been around a heck of a long time. There's a new study that was out just last year that looked at a medication for bladder problems that's actually helpful with hot flashes. It's one called oxybutynin, and it's very popular now for a condition called overactive bladder. A study was published in 2019 that looked at women taking the oxybutynin not for the bladder but for the hot flashes and they found that there was a significant reduction in hot flashes. Now one of the side effects for people who are doing this for their bladder know that you can get dry mouth and constipation. So pick your poison. Do you want hot flashes or do you not want to poop? That's a kind of a, that's kind of a tough choice. But not everybody who's on oxybutynin can't poop. But just know that that's, that's out there. There's others like Neurontin. Um, there's an old-timey one like called Bellergal. Uh, those aren't used very much anymore. Um, there's really a fifth category, and I haven't touched on this, but I think it's so important to throw out uh, for completeness sake, is there's actually some pretty good studies that show that a good qualified acupuncturist can actually make a difference with hot flashes. I saw a study not long ago that looked and it was interesting they did sham acupuncture. In other words they just poke these needles in random places you know your your ear and your eyelid and up your nose. They probably didn't do that but they did what they call sham acupuncture and then they did the real acupuncture and they actually showed a significant difference in the reduction of the hot flashes with the real acupuncture versus the sham acupuncture. So the key there is getting somebody who knows their rear end from an acupuncture needle and can do it appropriately. So that in a nutshell is the probably a best appropriate uh, approach to getting Now you can do some very common lifestyle changes like wear layers. That's very common. A lot of women will wear layers and they'll take them on and off depending on their temperature level and hot flash. Uh, they'll, um, of course, use fans. They'll avoid things that trigger hot flashes. For some women, uh, caffeine is a big trigger. Some people, uh, alcohol is a big trigger. Some people, spicy hot food is a trigger. Uh, some people living in Augusta in July is a trigger. I mean, you've got to identify what are those things for you that might do that and then try to avoid, you know, go live in Canada during the summer whatever. Uh, probably the biggest trigger is stress. We know that women who are having a eh, little bitty nuisance hot flashes every now and then placed in a stressful scenario all of a sudden BAM the hot flashes go uh, crazy. So we know that there's a correlation between stress. So again what we can do stress reduction wise can make a difference. So there is your quick primer on what a hot flash is and what you can do about it. Obviously you want to work closely with your doc, with your healthcare provider, because there's a lot of pros and cons that you really have to go into. You've got to look at your individual situation and decide what's important to you and your health, where you want to be, what you're currently dealing with. All those things have to be intertwined. What's your life situation? and then explore your options, go through all that scenario, and really come up to the best choice for you initially. 
you're not tied to that. You can always change and shift, but just know that there's options. Know that there's hope. I can dare say in 32 years of doing this, utilizing one or a combination of all those options, in most cases, we can really, really get someone where they're at least comfortable and not having the degree of hot flashes that they've had in the past. So there's hope out there. It's not something you just have to tolerate, especially now that you know that there's this cardiovascular tie-in that might make you a little bit of increased risk. So if you want some additional information, there's several ways to get that. One, go on the file section of this page and download a copy, a free copy of my book, Healthy Habits for, no, that's the wrong book. Uh, Horm uh, a Woman's Guide to Hormone Health. I think, I think on the file it's called Hormone Health, uh, and it's a PDF file. So download, download that. There's a whole couple of chapters just on hormones, pros and cons, herbal remedies. All It's a little, you know, it was written about 10 years ago, but it's still all very, very uh, timely and very applicable today. So that's one source of additional information. I think... I may be wrong or I may not be wrong, but I also think there's a video on there, a slide, audio slide presentation on, I believe it's called the top 10 ways to get rid of hot flashes, and that's on the file section also. So go check those out. If that's not there, I'll make sure it's put there. And that'll give you a, all the information you're going to need to begin the discussion to understand how you can be a partner in achieving this successful reduction in this what can be a really really bothersome thing so let me remind you again it's hard for me to read your comments as I'm talking because I'll get distracted like you know the dog walking and go squirrel you know and, and run off so I do read every comment I appreciate the input I'm gonna answer every question that you might pose Remember that I can't treat specific medical problems. This is not a HIPAA-compliant uh, privacy network, so please don't ask very specific questions about you individually. I can't address those on this kind of format, um, but just know that in general, I'll try to answer your question as best I can, and in most cases, there's other people who are having the same problem, so hopefully it'll benefit them also. So if you think this has been valuable, if you think this has been helpful, again, let family and friends know. We'd love to have them be a part of Women's Online Wellness. So until next time, remember, make healthy choices. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, email Dr. Eaker at reaker at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy.